Scripture reading, 1 John 4, 7 through 18. Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only Son into the world that we might live through him. This is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his Son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. This is how we know that we live in him and he in us. He has given us of his spirit, and we have seen and testify that the Father sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. If anyone acknowledges that Jesus is the Son of God, God lives in them and they in God. And so we know and rely on the love God has for us. God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in them. This is how love is made complete among us so that we will have confidence on the day of judgment. In this world, we are like Jesus. There is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. The word of the Lord. Several weeks ago now, we began a series uh, that we titled No Fear, and we spell no K-N-O-W, because what our goal throughout this series has been is just to simply understand the biblical definition of fear, and to find out what the Bible would teach us about fear, fearing the Lord, and a spirit of fear. These are the two kinds of fear the Bible describes and one it tells us that we should have which is the fear of the Lord and one it tells us we shouldn't which is a spirit of fear and over and over again throughout the scriptures from the very beginning to the end you find these two types of fear at work in the lives of various characters and we've we've looked at several of them and we said when we started out this series that the beginning of wisdom is found in the fear of the Lord that's what it says in Proverbs that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of all all wisdom And when we think about our own experience, if you're here today and you are a Christian, the reality is that you were drawn to Christ first. The the, the first indication of your need for a Savior was rooted in a healthy reverence and fear of the Lord. When we begin to understand who God is, His majesty, His power, His holiness, His righteousness, and then we begin to look at ourselves and understand our own condition, our brokenness, That we look at ourselves and we see our own sin and we realize there is a gap between a holy and a righteous God and our own lives which don't in any way reflect the holiness of God. And that in fact our sin is what separates us and, 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 and moves us away from God and inside of that we begin to, to have fear and reverence and that's the beginning of wisdom. And we looked at all these characters throughout the Bible and how they navigated a healthy fear and reverence of the Lord and how they were time and time again told by God through the Scripture to not be afraid, 
That God said, I am with you. Do not be afraid. And so as we've looked at these two ideas, I wanted today to, to conclude by, by looking at the life of the one who is to be our pattern and example for living. That is Jesus Christ. And to say, did Jesus ever face fear? Was Jesus ever afraid of anything? And if he was afraid of anything, what was he afraid of? And why was he afraid? And how did he overcome that fear? So was Jesus ever afraid? If so, what was he afraid of? Why was he afraid of it? And how did he, did he overcome it? And if, if, like me, you are a little uncomfortable thinking that the God of the universe would be afraid, that Jesus who walked on water, that Jesus who raised the dead to life, that Jesus who could give sight to the blind, all-powerful, how could he be afraid of anything? I invite you just to look at one verse before we look at our main passage, and that's found in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 15. This, this passage gives us an important truth about Jesus. It says this, For we do not have a high priest, speaking of Jesus, who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. See, the reality of the Christian faith is that we believe God himself came to earth and inhabited this place facing all the challenges and the temptations that we face, that God took on flesh. And Hebrews tells us that you don't have a God who is distant and unaware of your trials and your temptations and your struggles, that Jesus faced everything you faced. And if, in fact, Jesus did face everything we faced, then surely Jesus also faced fear. But what was he afraid of and why? And how did he overcome it? So I invite you to look with me at, uh, at our passage of Scripture today. Uh, Mark chapter 14, verse 32. Mark chapter 14, verse 32. I believe this passage gives us uh, the example of Jesus facing his greatest fear and, and what happened as a result of that. Mark chapter 14, beginning in verse 32. And they went to the place called Gethsemane. Now they is Jesus and the disciples. If you'll remember where this falls in the story, Jesus has just served his disciples uh, the, the, the Last Supper. They shared the Passover meal together. Jesus washed the disciples' feet, and now they're leaving that place where they've been gathered together, and they're going to a familiar garden where Jesus often went with his disciples in order to pray. So that this is where they're going. They're gathering in the Garden of Gethsemane, and he said to his disciples, Jesus, saying to his disciples, sit here while I, what's that next word? pray. Interesting. Jesus, Jesus is going into the garden for the purpose of prayer because of the burden that he is bearing. Follow on. Verse 33. And he took with him Peter, James, and John and began to be greatly distressed and troubled. And he said to them, my soul is very sorrowful even to death. Remain here and watch. So in this passage, Mark 14 Verse uh, 33 and 34, I believe we see Jesus facing fear. If you're reading from the message, Eugene Peterson's translation of the Bible, uh, Eugene Peterson translates this verse this way. He says, he plunged into a sinkhole of dreadful agony. That's actually a pretty accurate uh, translation of the intention of the original language, that, that this despair was more than just worry or anxiety. We, we know in, in another one of the gospel accounts that Jesus actually sweat drops of blood, that, that he was facing something, something 
that might appear insurmountable, this, this burden that he was facing, this fear that he was overcoming. Matthew in his gospel describes Jesus this way. He uses words like sorrowful, troubled, anguish, dismayed. All those feelings that so often come to us when we're facing fear. And Jesus here is facing fear. So why was he afraid? Let's look on and see. He tells us, he tells us in, in his prayer. Verse, uh, verse 35. And going on a little farther, he fell on the ground and prayed that if it were possible, the hour might pass from him. Now, now we know the hour that, that Jesus is talking about is the hour of his crucifixion. Jesus has been talking about this hour, this time, really throughout his ministry, even as his ministry began back at the wedding in Canaan where he turned the water into wine. He tells his mother, as she's, Mary's coming, saying, hey, turn this water, do something, make some wine up. And Jesus says, my time has not yet come. Jesus now knows his time is very, very close. The hour is approaching. And he said, Abba, which is the endearing term for father. We would, we would say, Daddy, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. And then he says this, remove this cup from me. Remove this cup. So whatever this cup is, must be what Jesus is afraid of. And you think, well, that's an odd thing to be fearful of. I mean, just a cup. What's Jesus talking about? But when you look in the Old Testament, you begin to understand what the cup symbolizes. Throughout the pages of the Old Testament, through the prophets and the writings, whenever God talks about his cup, he's talking about the cup of the wrath of God. That, that, that the image is that God has collected his wrath and anger in a cup. And, and throughout the pages of the prophecies, he says that he's going to pour that cup out on his enemies. That the wrath of God is being stored up for judgment. For those who are opposed to God. And Jesus in the garden is praying, God, let this cup pass from me. Let it, let it be taken away from me. See, Jesus is, is facing something more than just the common execution of a Roman criminal. This is something much, much bigger. Jesus understands that when he goes to the cross to die... That he is going to have the wrath of his father poured out on him for the sins of all the world. This is the cup that Jesus is about to drink. This is the cup that throughout the Old Testament God said, I'm going to pour this wrath out in judgment. I'm going to pour it out. I'm going to pour it out. And here it comes to the Garden of Gethsemane. And the one person who has ever walked the earth who didn't deserve the cup of God's wrath is the one person who's about to drink it. And Jesus is afraid. Because he's about to experience something he's never experienced before. Separation from his Father. Jesus said, I and the Father, we are one. Jesus has always lived in, in union with the Father. But Jesus is about to experience separation. He's about to experience the wrath of God. He's never done anything. He's never, he's never been outside of the Father's will in order to warrant that he would drink from this cup. And yet he's about to drink it as he's facing the cross. Jesus understood he must absorb the wrath of God for the salvation of mankind. So what did he do? Well, the first thing we see is he prayed. He went to God and he prayed and he asked God that this cup might be taken away from him. And I, I'm 
just grateful that that prayer is recorded for us and preserved in the scriptures. Because there are times in life when we're facing something that we just don't want to face. The death of a loved one, life without them, the the diagnosis of a a disease. Uh, There's all kinds of things that happen in life that come that we have no control over. And we have to look at those situations. And many times we think, well, this just must be God's will. And so I have to bear up under it. But it is okay to go to God and say, God, would you please take this away from me? I don't like what I'm facing here. And Jesus prayed that prayer. And if Jesus prayed it, so can you. But Jesus didn't stop there. He he also invited other people to pray for him and with him. He took the disciples with him on the mountain. And then he took the three who were the closest to him with him even further. Now, they fell asleep. They, they They fell asleep on the job. But Jesus' intention was, bear this burden with me. Do you know that whatever it is that you are afraid of, Jesus invites you, God is inviting you, pray about what you're you're fearful over. But take somebody else with you too. Pray with one another. Shine the truth of God's light. Bring it to God in prayer and gather people around you who will be faithful to pray with you. But notice, notice the most powerful part of his prayer isn't that he asked for the cup to be removed. It's that he said, yet not what I will but what you will. God, if you will take this cup, please take it, but not what I want, God, what you want. He accepted God's will over his own. Why would he do that? Well, how was Jesus able to overcome his greatest fear? Again, we look at Hebrews, and I think we find a clue. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2. Where the writer tells us to look to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith. And here's what he says. Who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising its shame. In other words, there was something greater than fear at work. There was something bigger than fear. Jesus could see what he was facing in drinking the cup. But he could also see past it. To some joy that was awaiting him on the other side of the suffering and on the other side of the sacrifice. And for the joy that was set before him, the writer of Hebrews said, Jesus endured the cross. He faced his biggest fear. And so you have to ask, what was that? What was this joy that was set before Jesus that would empower him, enable him, inspire him to face his greatest fear, to persevere through it, to say, not my will, but your will be done. What was that joy set before him? It was you. It was you. You were the joy set before Jesus. His church was the joy set before him. That Jesus understood that his death and facing his greatest fear would result in victory for those whom he loved. Listen to what it says in John chapter 15, verse 13. Jesus said, greater love has no one than this to lay down one's life for one's friends. See, Jesus' love for you overcame his fear of the cross. This is why in 1 John chapter 4, verse 18, it says, there is no fear in love But perfect love casts out fear. And only the most perfect, 
Only the most holy, only the strongest love could overcome the deepest fear of the wrath of God. And that love is found in a person. And his name is Jesus. And he demonstrated that love by his willingness to die. See, the Bible doesn't tell us just that God does love or that God has love. It says that God is love. That God is the origin of love. That God is perfect love. So when John later says perfect love casts out all fear, he's not talking about an emotion. He's talking about a person. That Jesus casts out all fear. Perfect love. Only the greatest love could drive out the deepest fear. Love conquers fear. Love conquers fear. This is... This is true even in our human existence. This this is why you can hear stories or experience maybe yourself. The the love of a mother who is willing to face harm herself to protect her child. How can she do that? Because love conquers fear. That, That a mother would put herself in harm's way to save her child. We all know that. We all know that's true. Why? Because she loves the child. That you hear stories and we've experienced times where young men and young women who who go into battle will will willingly put themselves on the front line knowing that they may die, facing the fear of death. Why? Because they love their country. They love a way of life. They love their family more than they love their own life. We, We see it time and time again throughout history. People are willing to die for something that they love. Love conquers fear. And here's what you need to know for the joy set before Jesus, the joy that he has in you his love for you let this register with you he loved you enough that he would endure his greatest fear that his greatest fear would in fact become a reality as he drank from the cup of God's wrath and he was willing to do it gladly because his love for you is greater than the fear that he was facing Love conquers fear. First John 4, 18, the, the, the verse finishes like this. For fear has to do with punishment. And whoever fears has not been perfected in love. See, what, what John is saying here is he's saying, listen, if you're still afraid, it's you're afraid of some form of punishment that you think may be coming because, because of God's judgment and God's wrath. But I'm telling you, if that's you, you've not been perfected in love yet. You don't understand what Jesus did for you on the cross, that his perfect love has cast out all fear. You have nothing to fear anymore. See, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, but the love of God is its fulfillment. If you don't hear anything else I've said in the five weeks of this series, please listen to that. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, it's the beginning. But it's not the end. The love of God is the fulfillment. Notice notice the word of. That's a tricky little word. Of, it's talking about the origin of love. 
that, that, that the love of God for us is the fulfillment, but it's also our love back to God, our love of God. See, God wants you to fear him. Don't get me wrong. Please don't leave here and think, well, he just, he, he's trying to diminish this idea of the fear of the Lord. That's not it at all. I believe the scripture says the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. God wants you to fear him, but he doesn't want you to stop there. That's not his ultimate goal for you. No more than it is for you to seek, well, I want my children to respect and honor me, so I want them to be afraid of me. You want them to move past that to something more. God's goal for you, Jesus said when he was asked, what is the first and greatest commandment? Is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. And the second one's like it. Love your neighbor as yourself, because if you're not doing that, you're really not loving me. See, Jesus could have said, in in response to that question, what's the greatest commandment? Jesus could have said, fear the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. He could have said that, but he didn't. Because the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but the love of God is its fulfillment. You see, the fear of the Lord leads us to the beginning and the pursuit of wisdom. And what is wisdom? Wisdom is understanding truth and rightly applying it to your life. That's what wisdom is. Wisdom is not just gaining Bible knowledge, gaining factual, gaining information. Wisdom is taking that information and rightly applying it, truthfully applying it to your life. Well, we know that Jesus is truth. Truth is not a thing. It's not a concept. The Bible tells us truth is a person. Jesus said, I am truth. The way, the truth, and the life. Truth is a person. So the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. That pursuit of truth leads us to Jesus. Jesus said, you shall know the truth and the truth shall set you free. And then in 1 John, it comes full circle and we realize that love, perfect love, casts out all fear. You see, fear is one-sided. Fear is only one-sided. You do know that God's not afraid of you, right? I mean, that might be news to some, but I just want to make sure. God is not afraid of you. See, fear is a one-sided relationship. That's not what God wants from you. God wants us to to live in, in in a relationship where we experience his love. Love is reciprocal. He loves us so we would be able to love him without fear of his wrath. This is why it also says in 1 John 4, 19, we love because he first loved us. See, apart from God's love for us first, there was no way we could love him. All we could do was fear him. But because of what Jesus did, because Jesus was willing to face his greatest fear, you can be freed from yours. Because Jesus was willing to endure and drink from the cup of God's wrath, we no longer have to be afraid. Listen to this verse, Ephesians chapter 3, verse 11 and 12. This is a game-changing verse. Get your pencils out, underline it, put a star beside it. This verse is critical for our understanding. Listen to what it says, Ephesians chapter 3, verse 11 and 12. This was his plan from all eternity. Okay, Jesus is not plan B. Jesus has always been God's plan. From the very beginning, God understood and knew what would happen. He understood the cost, and he created us anyway. Much like I knew when we began to have children, they were going to be a lot of trouble. And we had them anyway. 
and the hospital wouldn't take him back. This was his plan from all eternity. And it has now been carried out through Christ Jesus our Lord. Now here it comes. Because of Christ and our faith in him. Listen, here here it is. Because this right here, this next part, this is what the rest of the world doesn't have. But we have it. We have it in Christ Jesus And the rest of the world is invited to share it in it with us because of Christ and our faith in him. We can now come fearlessly into God's presence assured of his glad welcome. That we can approach the throne boldly. Not because we're worthy to approach the throne boldly. Not Not because we're perfect or because we've abided by the law, we've followed the law perfectly. But because Jesus himself has made it possible for us to come before God confidently, fearlessly. And not only that, but look how Paul says God will receive us gladly. Oh, man, that's good news. That's why this is called the gospel, good news, that you don't have to be afraid. You see, there are two kinds of people that you reverence in your life. There's there's, there's a reverence that you have for people because of their position and their authority and their ability to exercise judgment on you. That's one kind. And you might fear and revere them that way. For, For example... Um, if you're driving down the interstate and uh, a, a car with lights on the top of it comes up behind you, what's the first thing you feel? Yeah, fear. And that, that state trooper is going to pull you over and he's going to walk up to you. He's going to take a while to do it. He's going to sit in his car and let you get good and afraid. And when he comes up to you, you're going to roll the, da- roll the window down and you're going to say, yes, sir, or yes, ma'am. I mean, you're going to use your, why? Because, I mean, it's not, part of it's, part of it's selfish. You're thinking, maybe I could talk myself out of this, right? I, maybe if I'm just nice enough, if I'm respectful enough, I can get out of this. T- now, I don't know this personally. I just have heard some of you tell me about this. <laughs> but, but what is that? But what is that? Th- that reverence, that respect is motivated out of fear but that's it that's all there is and God doesn't want that from you God wants more than that from you because there's another kind of person that you deeply respect and deeply revere and it is somebody that you love so deeply that there is nothing that you would do intentionally to violate them there is nothing you would say there's nothing you would do there's nowhere you would go if you thought it would bring harm to them or your relationship with them because you are so motivated and driven by love that's what God wants the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom but the love of God is the fulfillment and that's what God wants from you because Jesus faced his greatest fear I can be freed from mine. I don't have to be afraid of God. Jesus drank the cup of God's wrath so we wouldn't have to. In the um, Old Testament, the cup is always used as a symbol of the wrath of God. But on the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took the cup and gave it a new meaning. Listen to what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 11 when he talks about this. 
And when he, Jesus, had given thanks, he broke the bread and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Now catch this. In the same way, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant. This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. You see, in the Old Testament, the cup was a symbol of the wrath of God. Jesus took that and turned the cup in the New Testament, in the new covenant, to a symbol of God's mercy and grace. And so we come and we take communion and we take the bread the body of Christ broken for you for the joy set before Jesus he endured the cross that his body was broken for you and we dip it in the cup the cup that was rightfully the wrath of God that should have been poured out on me for my sin and my brokenness for violating God's holiness it should have been poured out on me but instead Jesus drank the cup and now Now that blood is the new covenant that his blood was poured out for me that I can come before God fearlessly and confidently. I'm going to ask our our deacons and those who are serving to come and take their place this morning at the front of the room. And we're going to invite you as our invitation this morning to, to come forward and to just take this small piece of bread Uh, It's the body of Christ broken for you and dip it in the juice, the blood of Christ poured out for you. There are people in the front, there are people in the back. Uh, You can go either direction, but I don't want you to rush. I want you to sit for a moment. I want you to think, what are you afraid of? What are you afraid of? This morning as you come and you take this bread and you dip it in this juice, I want you to think about the fact That because Jesus faced his greatest fear, you can be freed from yours. There's nothing mystical or magical about this juice or this bread, but it symbolizes something so powerful. It symbolizes freedom and life. And if you're here today and you you understand the fear of the Lord, but you've been stuck there, maybe that's where you've camped out and you realize that a, a fear of the Lord is just as much bondage as sin is. The invitation for you today is to realize that because of what Jesus has done for you, you don't have to be afraid. Your sins are forgiven, and Jesus has paid the price. And so you can come. And maybe today, for the first time, you would say, I take Jesus into my life, into my heart as my Savior and as the one who loved me so much that he would endure the cross. Whatever it is that you're facing, whatever it is that you're going through, whatever fear that finds its roots wrapped around your heart, today we invite you to allow Jesus to set you free. You come as the Lord leads. Father, we come to this time of communion with grateful hearts and thanksgiving, knowing that this bread is the body of Christ broken for us. Knowing that the, that the wine is the blood of Christ that's been poured out for us. It, the knowledge is too wonderful. And yet in a simple act 
the simple act of taking this bread and this juice, as hundreds and thousands of people have done for thousands of years before us, we proclaim that we believe. We believe that your death was sufficient for the forgiveness of our sins. And we accept it as our own. So Father, today, move and stir among your people as they respond to your invitation to come. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.